When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to the Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome to Beyond the Scenes. Look. This is the podcast that's like, you know, you know, you know what this podcast is like? This podcast is that big ass bag of M&Ms that you dump into your popcorn right as the movie's starting so that you get a little bit of sweet along with that buttery, salty, savory, right? It's that contrast, you know? That's what this podcast is, you know? It's the goodness that you didn't even know you needed until that weird kid Marcellus did it that one time. And now you can never go back. There was a kid one time. He put... He put his French fries in his ice cream. And I was like, that is disgusting. And then I tasted it. And I was like, that is brilliant. I need to figure out where that kid is these days. Anyway, speaking of my failing health due to an unsustainable diet of ice cream and French fries, today we are diving into the latest debacle to hit the American healthcare system, the nursing crisis. Give him a clip. Nurses are understandably pissed off right now. And no matter how dedicated you are to a profession, everyone has a breaking point. And nearly two years into serving on the front lines of this war, a lot of them are starting to update their LinkedIn's. Some hospitals experiencing critical staffing shortages as frontline workers say they feel like they're underwater. A survey during the pandemic found that 62% of intensive care nurses are burned out. Burnout, stress, grueling hours. There are multiple reasons career nurses are choosing to leave. Mississippi has at least 2,000 fewer nurses than it did at the beginning of the year. In Kentucky, more than 20 hospitals report critical staffing shortages. In hard-hit New York, there was a 400% increase in nurses looking for new jobs. We are joined today to break down this Daily Show segment with uh, number one, Daily Show associate producer, you've heard her on this wonderful program before, Madeline Coons. Madeline, how are you doing today? I'm good, Roy. It's good to be back. Always a pleasure. What is this, third, fourth time? I think it's Fourth third. Time? I think I'm tied with CJ now. So. I don't know. It's it's all a blur. I'm just happy yeah. to be working. <laughs> also joining us on the program today is a longtime nurse and nurse educator, a doctor of nursing, a doctor of nursing, you know, just to show those physicians what's what. Dr. Christopher Freeze. Dr. Freeze, welcome aboard Beyond the Scenes. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. And I know that the people um, listening cannot see this, but I want to acknowledge how color coordinated your couch is with the background and the the your living space. There's a color. Um, what's what's the word? Like a palette. The color story. That's what, yeah. My girlfriend <laughs> is the color story. Everybody's worried about books in the background trying to impress people, but not you, dog. You got the turquoise contrasted with a little bit of the brown. It's very 
very nice. Very nice. Thank you. We're, we're going for a 10 out of 10, so thank you. Well, we'll see. Room Raiders, a bunch of assholes. They gave me a six. <laughs> they can kiss my ass. <clears throat> Sorry about that. We're here to talk about things that are much more upright and appropriate. Madeline, this segment that we did on The Daily Show, we just played a little bit of a piece of the original segment. But for folks that, that missed it, give us a little bit of an overview of what the segment covered uh, and, and how it came to your attention. Sure. Yeah. So the piece is essentially... Uh, it's about how the crux of it is how we have a, a critical national nursing shortage, uh, which is only getting worse, by the way, it's not magically solved since we did this piece. And a lot of that is due to uh, nurses burning out on the job. And this, uh, particularly why we did it when we did earlier this year is because it's, you know, after, after I feel like the, the vaccines came in and we were all, yay, we have a vaccine, the pandemic is over, except while we were going dining, nurses and all the healthcare workers were being thrown into another pandemic. And that was the pandemic of the unvaccinated. And the ridiculous and really like truly awful fact of that is that unlike the first wave, when we were all kind of dealing with something we couldn't control, this one was completely preventable and it did not have to happen. So then as you were piecing this together for the show, the thing we've talked about on this podcast in the past about is how we can find an issue and then you can find eight different aspects of this issue to address. What were the ones that you all decided to dial it in on and why? Mm -hmm. I know that on the one hand, we could talk about the mental health part of it, but then you could also talk about the staffing part of it, but then you could also talk about the public negligence part of it. So just how did you all, as you all were producing and putting this piece together, how did y'all decide the hierarchy of important things to make sure it stayed in the piece and didn't get edited out? Part of it, I will say, I think the heart of the piece that I really wanted to try to address in some way, I'm not a nurse, but I've had some... I've had more interaction with the hospital system, I think, than the average American. So like when I was young, uh, I was in the hospital. I was hospitalized a lot for pneumonia. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely a product of my parents' health insurance and modern medicine, and I am fine. Mm -hmm. uh, but <laughs> the, you know, one of the reasons I'm still here is because of the, you know, I mean, fantastic doctors, but fantastic nurses. So a lot of my earliest memories are of just like nurses in that care and just like experiencing firsthand what a difference like that level of like human care makes like, okay. So for example, um, I'm going to go off on an anecdote now that I thought of, but when I was, so I was a young kid in the hospital and they would always put these IVs in my hands all the time. And as a kid, I hated that because I wanted to like play with my hands. Cause you're, when you're in the hospital for a long time, it's actually kind of boring because there's not much to do uh, as a patient not as a hospital worker, as a patient, as a kid. Um, and when they listened and they put the IV in my foot and what you think would be hard because I wouldn't be able to walk around, but what the nurses did is they let me ride. You like those long, big IV poles. They would let yeah. me ride around the hospital on those, like the silver surfer or something. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I think when, when I think back to that time, I think it's something that could have been a very scary memory is actually very warm and that all of that had to do with the level of care I received. And so when I was looking for pieces and seeing how nurses were being affected by COVID, there was a part of me that remembered the level of care that you can get when nurses are able to do their job versus what we're seeing happening now. And that's what I started looking at saying, like, how can, how, how can we tell that story? How can we show what should be and how can we show it is? Because Dr. Freeze, you know, when you look at healthcare in the modern era in this country now, like it's not just about 
knowing your job from a techie, technical, IV, find the vein standpoint, you also, it seems that the job of nurse is a little bit part sociologist as well, where you have to be able to relate to people. And I would even argue that there might be a little small element of social work in trying to just connect with people on a normal human basis. But you have a lot of different confluences happening. What do you believe are the primary challenges for nurses and the healthcare system right now? Well, how much time do we have right now? Um, so <laughs> you know, first I want to say that each and every day, nurses are delivering exceptional care across the country. They are, they are getting it done for their patients, technically, socially, physically. They are problem solving behind the scenes. They are, you know, I call it, you know, part technical, part psychology, part air traffic controller. And, and that's the part that a lot of people don't see. So a lot of excellent nursing care is still happening, but we're on the brink. And we've been on the brink for about almost two years now. So when we think about the priorities, what I'm really worried about is at some point, our public health officials will have a lower level of concern for COVID than they do right now. They will say, we're at a phase that we can, quote, manage this. We, we have an ability, you know, the case counts are very, very low. We're not seeing these big, wide spikes that we're still seeing. And everybody's going to say, oh, great, problem solved, and they're going to walk away. And they're going to leave nurses in the lurch without solving the underlying structural things that are happening to nurses every day and have been happening for a decade. So my team has been studying nursing workplaces for two decades now. A couple things that I'm very worried about. One is uh, executives are not spending enough time on understanding the working conditions of nurses and how they need to fix them. They're not listening to nurses and solving their problems. Executives They're, within the healthcare system. Exactly right. Okay. Just make Ex sure. Executives in the healthcare system are not listening carefully to nurses' concerns and acting upon those concerns. When nurses tell you they have a problem, they have a problem. They're not making it up. And when nurses have problems in their workplaces, we've known that patients are more likely to die. Patients are more likely to have complications. Patients are more likely to have to stay longer in the hospital. None of us want any of that. So first is we have to have our healthcare executives listen deeply and carefully to nurses and work very strategically on those problems. Then we have a couple of structural things, not very sexy, but we still allow many nurses, as you point out, to work mandatory overtime. Their boss can come to them. They've worked a 12 hour shift. It's five o'clock at night. They've worked 10 hours nonstop and their boss can come to them at 5 PM and say, guess what? You're staying another four hours. And we don't do that to pilots. Your pilot flies you from New York to LA. They get off the plane and they go home and rest. Truck drivers either. And dr truck right. Drivers, mm -hmm. They track truck drivers to make sure they're not even cheating. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. so, so we've got a couple of structural things like that. We also have, well, guess what? We're running short on a nurse. So you're going to take another one, two, three patients. And right now in the COVID area, we're seeing that in the ICU. I've never heard of that in the ICU in 25 years of nursing. So executives have decided to put the labor problems on the backs of nurses rather than solving the underlying problem. And I think that problem predated COVID and it's only gotten worse during COVID. So if we really focus on those issues, we're going to have a healthy, safe nursing workforce that can care for us during COVID and after COVID. And if we don't pay attention to that stuff, we're going to be in a whole world of hurt and we're going to see more of the stuff that we're seeing now nurses leaving in droves 
too many, too many patients to care for, unsafe staffing, et cetera. It's a vicious cycle if we don't break the chain. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask a question that's going to seem morbid, but it's from a fiscal place. Why would the executives bait, break the backs of the employees whose job it is, is to help keep the customer alive? Like if we're just going base level, making money in healthcare, if people die, that is not good fiscally for business. So why would we create a, a place where the workers cannot do their job the right way? What is the advantage in an executive doing that? Like if we said, they're not a sponsor. Let's just use Amazon, for example. Okay, yeah, Amazon's going to pay you as little as possible and not put you in a union because it makes them more money. Overworking nurses doesn't make you more money. The patient is the patient. The cost is the cost. So why would you want the patient to die? Like, what are the advantages Mm -hmm. in the executive infrastructure of a hospital in being assholes like this? Well, I I have a lot of friends who are executives. So let me put that on there. And I think a lot of them. Not them. They're cool. (laughs) You know who we mean. (laughs) Those other people, right? So, you know, I think that. First of all, a lot of the executives are trying to do the right thing, but we don't have the incentives lined up. And, and I spoke about this earlier. So number one, when you unfortunately are in the hospital and you get a bill when you go home, do me a favor and look at your bill. And you tell me, this is a quiz for everybody listening. Go take a look at that bill and tell me where the bill for nursing services is. You know where it is? Room and board. Nurses are part of the room and board part of a hospital bill. So if you have cancer and and i'm an oncology nurse and i am giving you expert care for you leukemia and i'm in your room every hour drawing blood and checking your giving you blood products to save your life and giving you antibiotics and all that stuff and you and the person next to you uh or the the room down the hall has an appendix removed and they're there for 12 hours and i give them two tylenol and send them on their way the bill for the day is the same So right now, nurses are widgets in the hospital, and they are the largest Mm. part of the hospital budget. And so when times get tough, guess where they're going to cut? Guess where they're going to cut the corner without nurses stepping up and saying, this is no longer safe. This is no longer acceptable. We need a different structure. And so it's a a tricky thing. It's going to be hard to solve. But what I'm what executives can do right now is really listen carefully to what their nurses are telling them and act on it. And what they can do tomorrow is eliminate mandatory overtime because that's unsafe and we know it's unsafe. And they can work carefully to get those numbers right so that we have an adequate number of nurses to care for the patients because it's unsustainable. But the primary problem is we do not value either numerically or monetarily the kind of nursing care that patients in the U.S. need in hospitals. One of the things that I found researching that you know really struck me was just you know, not just the level of care, but just all of the different types of care that nurses do that I don't think we really think of that, you know, it's not, it is drawing blood and it is giving medicine, but you're also, you're helping patients shave, you know, the nurses are the ones holding the phones so people can talk to patients. Like there's a lot of things that if you did put them on a hospital bill, it would probably look like a CVS receipt. You know, because you'd be like, oh, right, that's, <laughs> look at all the, you know, maybe, maybe we should start, you know, putting those on so people can actually understand that that type of care. Yeah. Because 
Or talking to the doctor and the pharmacist when you're not even in the room to say, you just ordered an errant medication that's going to put this patient at risk. Do you really want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, so there's all this work happening behind the scenes, this air traffic control function. Nobody sees it and nobody's paying for it. It's just happening and it's part of my work. And so you can either have me overloaded where I'm trying to do that for too many planes, too many patients in this example, or we can do it in a way where I have the time and space to really care for patients or teach them about their new leukemia diagnosis or their new surgery, whatever they just had done. So you get what you pay for. And right now we're lumping this into room and board. It's basically a Hyatt bill. Uh, sorry if they're a sponsor of yours, but you know, <laughs> we don't, I love this idea of the CV because if we did that for a nurse, what did you do for this patient for 12 hours? It would be a ticker tape parade. Yeah, because that's the thing that I think is interesting as well, because it's all hidden under room and board. I don't even think Americans even know what, we don't know everything that a nurse do. Like all you know is that the nurse is the person who is in charge of apparently from what you're saying, Dr. Freeze, everything from medicine and the right dosage to batteries for my TV remote, which is always my concern when I'm visiting someone in the hospital, yeah. is that the television has an inadequate amount of channels. But um, what I'm gathering is that that's probably not a bigger issue in the eyes of the administration right now. Well, you know, if Where you're do, visiting, you shouldn't be inconvenienced if you can't access cable. So what is the I point of visiting you in the hospital if I can't yeah. watch Comedy Central? Wink, wink, shameless plug. So then... With all of that happening, Madeline, how do you all, it, it seems like, and I could be wrong, Dr. Freeze, jump in if I am, but it would seem like the issue of the stress of this job and what the pandemic did um, to morale is also somewhat of a, if not a newer issue, definitely more prominent and more prevalent now. So how did you all decide on how to sparse that into the story? I think the challenge with trying to put together a piece like this is that you you have to figure out when you're going to make jokes, but also when you're going to take it seriously. I would say the the best asset that we have, I mean, and, and you know this at The Daily Show, Roy, is that like we just have a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of hands on these pieces. There's a lot of people working on them. It's a really collaborative effort. And so one of the people I mentioned above, the very talented people, uh, is one of our producers, Allison, who did a lot of work on this piece. And when we were talking about uh, burnout specifically for nurses, which again is not a funny topic. It's very serious. It's very depressing. Uh, but she found a clip of a nurse speaking about how, you know, when they're talking about their burnout and the solution by their, you know, I guess the hospital executives was to kind of throw a pizza party. People just still honestly do not understand how severe this is, how bad staffing for nursing is. When times are tough and things are getting rough, they'll have a pizza party. You know, you guys are spread really, really thin and we can't get new nurses, but here's pizza. Okay, no, people, no. You cannot solve a nurse shortage with a pizza party. In fact, it's probably gonna make the problem worse because it's the last food you want to feed someone who needs to stay awake for a double shift. You know, so it's, it's finding things like that to still be able to talk about an issue. Pizza is probably a good problem solver until about the eighth grade. After that, bro, <laughs> you gotta be taking us at minimum to Cheesecake Factory. Uh, after the break, Dr. Freeze, I wanna throw that same question at you because I know that you have a lot of colleagues that are still in a lot of these, you know, hotspots and are dealing mm -hmm. with all of the problems that you're talking about. And I'm very curious, not only about 
the mental health issues that are happening right now within our um, within our hospital system with nurses, but also what are y'all telling the new nurses that are coming out of school? How do you convince somebody to, to take this job? What does the nursing recruitment poster look like? This is beyond <laughs> the scenes. We'll be right back. I have a lot of questions for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the Lord was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f- themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Dr. Freeze, you've spoken about the mental health challenges that are faced by nurses. What makes these challenges so acute? You know, what is it about the job that is creating all of this stress and how is that affecting the nursing population, you know, even by gender? So it's a really important topic because I think the take home message for your readers, we're all spending a lot of time worrying about nurses right now and probably Everyone listening has a family member or friend who's a nurse just because of the numbers with 4 million of us out there in the U.S., right? But but the big take-home message for everybody to know is nurses were in trouble before the pandemic. So our team at the University of Michigan had done some work to understand, and I, I'm going to uh, just give folks a mention that we're going to talk about some unpleasant topics like suicide just to prepare people. We actually did some work to show that um, deaths by suicide were two times higher among female nurses than the rest of the U.S. population. And that data went through 2017 before the pandemic. And the curve was like this. For the last 11 years that we studied it, it was a steady increase over time. The all-time peak was the t- 2017 when we had the latest data. That's our group. Another group, uh, now you could say that's still very rare, you know, but I mean, I would say every nurse we lose is, you know, a tragedy. Well, and if the numbers are still rising, rising numbers, right. rising mm-hmm. numbers. Right. So it's a, it's alarming finding. But the other point is uh, a survey by the Mayo Clinic just showed that even thinking about suicide and self-harm was on the rise during the same period. So, you know, not a, thankfully, not everyone is going to have a tragic event, but nurses have had behavioral and mental health challenges before the pandemic, 
I think there's a couple things going on. Number one is the work is stressful. We've talked about mandatory overtime and shifts and workload. The other thing we haven't talked a lot about is violence. Verbal and physical violence against nurses is continuing to rise, was rising before the pandemic. And we do not have a strategy in the US to control that. So nurses are in an, in an unsafe, hostile environment for their work. And then think about what's going on around them. 80% 80 plus of the US nurse population is female. They're often caregivers at work and they're caregivers at home for family members, for kids, mm. for et cetera. So you put all that together in a tough work environment and you, you can imagine why people are having stress. The other piece we know about nurses and other healthcare workers is it's very hard for them to seek healthcare services for mental health because of the stigma involved. They don't want to be seen that they can't handle their work. They don't want to be seen as a patient for like that problem. the military and the police and exactly. there's a, a pride that comes with the position. That white wall, of, you know, we'll call it a white wall of silence instead of the blue line. You know, there's we don't want to talk about this stuff because we want to be seen as professionals. We can handle our stuff. But, you know, it's like diabetes. You can't just wash this away. If you have a mental health condition or you have a substance use issue or whatever you have, there's no thinking that a healthcare worker is is less immune to that problem. And they need as much help, if not different kind of help. Than anyone else and they they repeatedly say in surveys it is hard for them to find services that understand their needs they feel they can't do it confidentially they're they're worried about retribution they're worried about getting fired they're worried about losing their license so until we solve that problem we're not going to solve the mental health crisis among nurses the final point i want to add on this is some of my colleagues work dr christian Choi at ucla has shown in a survey that nurses have a lot um, in a large survey of nurses in the nurses health study, a substantial proportion of them had childhood trauma, physical, uh, verbal, sexual trauma in their past, far higher than the US population. So we're trying to put all of this together, but we're flying blind because we really don't have good understanding of what the exact issues are. We know what the clumps of things are, but we don't know really how they fit together to create a problem where a nurse is really in trouble. So then you, we're dealing with a, a workforce that themselves may be broken and unhealed from their own traumas while also working in a stressful situation to heal everybody else. Now, let, then when we talk about just the workforce in general, why has it been so difficult? And this is just me, a layman. This is a guy who I've gone to the hospital a couple of times. I really good blankets at the hospital. If you could steal one, please do yourself a favor and get you one of those nice hospitals. Um, as a layman, why can't we just hire more nurses as yeah. just part of the issue? Like that's always been the approach to if we want to use and policing isn't a one to one. But that's always been something where that's a job with decent pay, decent overtime, decent retirement. So you don't really have the bigger issue in recruiting over there. Why why can't we just add more nurses to the workforce? And why hasn't that been um, a solution? Yeah, so a couple of things. So we need special training, right, for nurses. You can't just kind of walk in from another sector and become a nurse. There's, there's you know, at least two up to four years of training, and then you need extensive on-the-job training. And the problem is we have a pipeline problem. So you, 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 we joked earlier, you know, how do you get people into the field? 
we turn away eight to 10 qualified people for nurse, every nursing school position, every student position, there are eight to 10 people huh. behind them that we turn away because we don't have enough capacity. Why don't we have enough capacity? We don't have enough faculty. We don't have enough people to teach both in the school of nursing and in the hospital. Those expert nurses who are leaving, we need those folks to help teach our students. So when we have experts leave, we don't have enough people to teach our students. If we don't have enough faculty, we can't teach our students. And nurses make more money practicing than they do teaching. We haven't aligned the incentive to say, if you want to be, if you're an expert nurse, we want you to be an expert teacher and we're going to reward you for that. Instead, we say, oh, you're going to take a pay cut. So how's that going to work? Also, I'm wondering, Dr. Freeze, if there's something like with the, dist- I mean, obviously there's a, there's a shortage, which is a yeah. critical issue, but in terms of like a distribution, because I mean, I think one of the things about being in New York is that I kind of take it for granted that like we do, like we have a lot of hospitals here, you know, mm-hmm. like you can, you can Uber to a hospital, but there's a lot of uh, more rural parts of the country that uh, a yeah. lot, you know, a lot of nurses have been lured away to be traveling nurses, right? Because right. it pays more money and you know, we don't hold that against them, obviously, but those shortages are so much different than here where I don't think we would feel it. What is the difference between a, what a travel nurse is just someone who comes in and they're hired privately by a particular hospital. Hey, come be a nurse here for a little while. Mm-hmm. Contract for hire, about usually yeah. it's like six to 13 week contracts. And so you pay a premium, okay. they pay they get a premium pay, they get paid to relocate and they're there for six to 13 weeks, and they typically are placed in the shortest staffed units. You know, they're filled, they're filling holes. And so okay. people will say, I'll go in, I'll do this. I might, I would call it jokingly hazard pay. I'm going to do this for, for six to 13 weeks, and then I'm going to leave, and then I'm going to go on to somewhere else. Some people stay, um, but it's really to fill that critical hole. Um, so that's the that's the travel nursing thing. And, and what we're seeing right now, the big kerfuffle is we've got expert nurses who have been in the same unit with a lot of expertise for 10, 12 years caring for these patients. And then an eight, a travel nurse comes in and is making twice the salary for that that blitz of time. And so the, the 10, 12 year veterans Ooh. looking around saying, why am I staying here? What's this about? So that's the newer phenomena that we're seeing. You know, you're, you're, you're putting me through the ringer. You're, you're giving me lukewarm pepperoni pizza. The one today I heard is coloring books. So congratulations, you're getting a coloring book. So, you, you know, the, the list goes on. And then I look around and there's this, pers- there's this person from a travel agency who's going to be here for six to 13 weeks, making double, sometimes triple my pay. Why would I stay? And I don't I'm have a good answer for them. I don't yeah. have a good answer. Yeah. So then you look at that's like private sector security who gets sent over to the Middle East and fight alongside our troops. And the troops are like, what? Like, yeah, dude. And my equipment's better than yours. So that's that's wild. So when we when we look at this, Madeline, and we haven't even had time to even unpack what all of these stresses on the nurses and taking on too many patients, what that means for the patients who are actually the ones at the center of all this and the ones who need the care. How do you and the writers, how, how are you bringing levity? Look, I'm just be honest, Madeline. This shit is sad. It's very sad because it's very real. How do you all balance the jokes? What we want, what we, which, when you want, how are you balance deciding when to make someone laugh versus when to mm-hmm. make them feel? 
this definitely felt more like a feeling piece to me, but I'd lean heavily on the writers for that. I think they have more of a burden to, you know, write the script around the story that we're trying to tell, but it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult, you know, sometimes things just, you know, they're not funny, uh, but at the same time, find, you know, finding pockets where we can actually laugh about something is really important because I was thinking about uh, Dr. Freeze, what you were saying earlier about the mental health challenges. And, you know, one of the things that I hope pieces like this do is, you know, show the, show the human side of somebody. Cause if, if you can relate to someone and see that they're human, then there is room for comedy and there's also room for, you know, having other feelings, but think, you know, thinking about how we talk about nurses and how we kind of put them as heroes and maybe how that actually isn't that helpful for people who are trying to seek mental health services, because that might just be a bigger burden on somebody. Yeah. One of the senior nursing assistants, I learned my craft from 25 years ago, early on, she said to me, if you're not laughing, you're crying. So having a bit of lightness about, you Same. Know, it's, and, and we see the pizza roll in and we all just kind of roll our eyes and, oh, well, isn't that nice? And thank you. Or, you know, so we understand that. And I think we appreciate when people are really supportive, I, you know, my heart went out. We saw signs in the parking lot at Michigan when people came and, you know, supported us. And, you know, as I was driving in, I'm like, okay, now is everybody going to sign up for the vaccine? Is everybody going to do their part and stay safe and stay home and stay out of trouble while they're clanging their pots and pans and while they're putting signs out? And I, that's the piece that I think a lot of nurses are still struggling with. Like, thanks for that. But we're asking you to do these two or three other things that are really a pain in the butt. We get it but they're going to keep you safe. And I think that's where a lot of nurses are, are kind of, you know, looking up, up at the sky, wondering what's going on here. I think that's the, are, the mystery. You are a hero. And I can't wait to see you in two weeks when I catch COVID with my unvaccinated <laughs> lungs. And that's how badly I want to meet you. And you've just touched on something as well, Dr. Fries. I want to talk about it after the break here, because when we talk about people refusing the vaccine, there's people on both sides of that issue, and I want to get your opinion on people in the healthcare industry who are refusing the vaccination and these higher ups, some of whom that are your friends and very cool, whether or not these vaccine mandates are the right thing to do in a time where you're short staffed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Beyond the Scenes, and uh, we'll be right back. I'm going to clang a pot for you, Dr. Freeze. Let me go get a pot right now. <laughs> Where's my pizza? I need to <laughs> In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And love was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. 
Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Beyond the scenes, we are discussing the crisis that has struck our healthcare system, specifically uh, our men and women that are nurses. And apparently, unbeknownst to me, Madeline, uh, pizza has been one of the biggest solutions. Now, since clearly pizza has been a bridge and boosting morale, Dr. Freeze. Do we have to go to Meat Lovers Pizza to get our healthcare workers to accept the vaccine? <laughs> uh, Stuff you know, crust. What do we need to do? Set up uh, the GoFundMe. I see pepperonis that have the oil in it. Like, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> that little you know, puddle. You know, I'm a scientist, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, I'm a scientist, so I'd like to do a randomized trial of you know different pizza compared to coloring books compared to massage chairs, you know, and kind of just see which one of those uh, we can throw in pot clanging at the same time. Maybe we'll maybe we'll hit bingo. I don't know. The dwindling number of nurses means that their job is only getting harder. And as an extra insult, some of their colleagues are abandoning ship for a much stupider reason. At a time when there are already staffing shortages, some nurses are threatening to quit if forced to get the COVID vaccine. One hospital in upstate New York will stop delivering babies after workers resigned over vaccine mandates. Houston hospital system has fired or accepted the resignations of more than 150 nurses and other staff members who refused mandatory COVID vaccinations. Show of hands, how many of you have gotten a COVID vaccine? These are four healthcare workers from different hospitals in North Carolina. Why not? We don't know what the long-term side effects are. It also hasn't been proven to be effective. The CDC and many public health experts say that it's more than 90% effective. I have the right to question anybody in this country. I want to question. Mm -hmm. You're entitled to an opinion, but these are facts. Are they, though? Mm -hmm. Are they facts? Wow. Yo, this nurse is a genius, yo. She knows in order to stop an unvaccinated person, you must first think like an unvaccinated person. In order to kill COVID, you must first die of COVID. It's so obvious now. What do you make of healthcare workers who have decided to decline the vaccine? Do you think that reflects poorly on the healthcare system? Like, is there a hypocrisy in that? And that you being one who cares about everyone's health, not doing the thing that the healthcare system says is healthy? So I've spent a decent amount of time uh, first understanding the science behind these vaccines. They've they have the science behind these vaccines has been around for two decades, um, but it hasn't been very publicly shared and hasn't been really well understood. Right. And so the entire U.S. population is trying to get up to speed with with what we understand about these vaccines and why they are safe and clearly why they're effective. And just like 
the U.S. population, there is a subgroup within the healthcare sector who have questions and concerns. I, I don't like to use the, the term anti-vax or vaccine hesitant. What The way I like to frame it is people have unanswered questions. And the way I like to approach that is come to people and have open conversations where I'm not their boss. I am their peer. I am their colleague trying to answer questions. And, you know, when I staff, I usually come in a little bit early and spend some time with the nurses and just have informal conversations about what's going on and answer their questions because there's a lot of uncertainty out there. Even if you're a healthcare provider, it's literally changing every day for a lot of the recommendations. So what I've come across are some very common questions about long-term safety, about uh, nursing or childbearing issues. And the way I've tried to tackle that is get the experts to those colleagues who have questions. Rather than command and control, rather than bosses, rather than punitive uh, strategies, is to have a conversation and for folks to do that. And, you know, I, I remember a, a particular nurse, not that I work directly with this person, but someone I know pretty well, and new baby and a lot of questions and said, you know, I'm just not ready yet. And so I could turn that conversation off and say, all right, good luck, you're on your own or whatever. But I, we've kept the dialogue open. And I think that's the strategy is to continue to have a dialogue and answer questions. The final thing I'll say about this is, I think in some ways the media got this a bit wrong. They looked at the same statistics I did and they came out with one out of however many nurses, nine or 10 nurses is decline. It will say they'll leave their job or decline the vaccine. I saw an overwhelming majority, 90% or more of healthcare workers are ready to sign up and get the vaccine. And then we fast forward that story a few weeks later. And what we see is very few people actually leaving their jobs because of this. So mm -hmm. I, we were in a, a unique snapshot in time. It was a highly emotional, um, challenging period. There's still a lot of unanswered questions. And I felt like as we were watching that story unfold in time, we got a little ahead of ourselves in not really stressing the positives and then following up to say, well, actually, how many people really yeah. are going to Panic journalism. Mm -hmm. Kind of yeah. like how the yeah. NYPD was having, was going to have all of these officers and it ended up being like 30 Exactly. You know, it's going to be thousands and murder will reign supreme. It's like mm, 30. Like there are tens of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did have a question for you, Dr. Freeze. You know, one of the things that we touched on in the piece was, I guess, how burned out nurses uh, affect patients. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, cancers don't stop just because there's a pandemic. Right. Uh, other thing, you know, you, you don't stop breaking bones, you, you know, everything else doesn't stop. Like the hospital system doesn't stop and people don't stop getting sick. So like, how is that, I guess, how, how have you seen the knock-on effects of all of this happening? Yeah. So two things on that. One is that um, even if you're not caring for COVID patients, you saw a dramatic change in your work during this period that continues because your patients are coming to you with more complicated problems because they couldn't get their cancer screening. And so now they present with a cancer at a later stage or they have a complication that we couldn't manage before they got diagnosed, number one. Number mm -hmm. two, we had a lot of visitor restrictions. And so we didn't have family members and loved ones who could provide that extra emotional support for patients in the hospital. And as you said, we had no nurses one checking the batteries with no FaceTimes and yeah, no, no one's checking the batteries. Uh, no one's making sure the channel's on the right channel at, you know, nine, 10, you know, 10, nine central yeah, or whatever. Real. That's real mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, 
so those pieces add up. I mean, I don't want to trivialize that. You know, when you are alone and scared in a hospital, or you know, in my in my family member's case, you know, they had to go. They have very complicated diabetes. They had to go to the office by themselves. Their loved one couldn't come with them to make sure everything was being monitored properly and carefully, and they had to follow up with questions. So everything got more complicated, and and, and much of that stays to this day. And then for the patients, as we said, cancer doesn't wait and heart attacks still happen. And in my case, broken ankles still happen. And so I needed to seek care in this pandemic. And you you are worried that, are, am I gonna get the care that I need? Is everything gonna work out? And in my case, it worked out beautifully. I couldn't have been more comfortable or, or, or treated better. But But we have seen very clearly that some care is falling through the cracks and continues to do so. So that's bad for patients. And then it's also bad for healthcare workers because they can't give their very best. And so it continues to pour salt on that wound that we're in this vicious cycle that we can't seem to quite get out of. And I'm not able to give my very best to my patients for reasons that are really outside of my control. And I think that's always been hard for me as a nurse when I know something could have gone better but it couldn't because of something beyond my control. That's very hard to live with day in and day out. So then do you think things right now, Dr. Freeze, are trending the right way? Or are we still kind of in a bit of a holding pattern where it could still go either way right now? So I think we have a mixed picture. The one thing that I'm amazed at, um, you know, a few uh, weeks ago, I had to transfer a patient to the intensive care unit uh, for management of their, their cancer. They had a problem with their cancer complication. But there were COVID patients in a separate part of that ward, and the amount of intensive, unbelievable care that nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists and pharmacists are giving to these patients, we know far much more on how to treat patients with COVID, and we are we are doing a better job of managing COVID because we've learned a lot in the last two years, and that's a tribute to the the folks on the front line and the researchers who have helped do that. So that's a positive. We have very safe and effective vaccines, and we now basically you can walk in almost anywhere you want and you can get them. So those are triumphs and we should celebrate them. And at the same time, our nurses, doctors, pharmacists, respiratory therapists, other folks have kept America's heartbeat going for all their non-COVID stuff for the most part. But but the, the net is frayed. The net is very frayed and I'm very worried that there is probably a group of folks who are falling through the cracks, either because they can't get in for care or the care that they get is suboptimal because we're strained so hard. And what I really worry about is we're not gonna fix this problem as COVID eases. We're gonna say, well, back to normal, no problem. We have to learn from this and we have to start making the changes now so that patients today are safer and patients six, nine months, nine months, a year from now regardless of COVID or otherwise are safer. And I've, I fear like we're going to forget that. Is there anything that the general public can do? Because so much of what you're talking about is, it seems to be, in my opinion, or just from my perspective, again, as a guy who only goes to hospitals to steal blankets. Borrow. You borrow them. No, I don't take don't them back, them. Madeline. Don't clean it up for me. I'd steal them. These are very wonderful blankets. As a person who's just on the outside looking in, it seems that a lot of the solutions here lie within the institution. But how do I, as just Joe Blow citizen, 
what can I do to help alleviate some of these challenges? Is it looking mm-hmm. at what our elected officials are doing? How much does politics, is there someone mm-hmm. I need to vote out? Like what can, it, it, do I show up to the hospital and try to protest? Like what can we do as regular people to help be a part of the solution on this issue? Yeah, so a couple of things. First of all, it's not just the blankets. The real money is the warm blankets. So make sure you ask for that next time. Oh, nice. Electric. It will change your life. It will change your life. Nice. So thank you all. Thank you're very welcome for that tip. So what can the public do? A couple of things. One is if you get great care at your facility, write the CEO of the hospital and mention the people who who cared for you by name and tell them what a great job they did. And if you saw quality of care concerns, if you heard about mandatory overtime or unsafe staffing, put that in too and say, hey, this is not what I expect for my community hospital. Because the, they are accountable to the public. Most of our hospitals in the country are nonprofit, and they're supposed to serve the community. So they need to respond to you. If you know a hospital executive, you can say, what are you doing to keep your nurses safe? And the answer shouldn't be pizza parties or coloring books. The answer should be eliminating mandatory overtime, humane staffing levels, and listening to nurses and acting on their issues. And do you have a safety committee for nursing and healthcare workers. We have patient safety committees in every hospital. Do we have a group of, ex- of experts focused on healthcare worker safety? Missing piece. Finally, for the policy piece, couple points. Every state, healthcare, most hospital issues are managed at the state level. Moving throughout the country is legislation on um, penalizing verbal and physical abuses towards healthcare workers. Zero tolerance. You hit or strike a nurse or you call them a name, you're out, full stop. We're not, we're not gonna, you know, with limited circumstances, you are, we, we are not obligated to treat you and you can be uh, charged with a, with a crime. Um, also, mandatory staff, uh, mandatory overtime and staffing ratios that are humane and safe. There's legislation in many states, California has a staffing mandate. Uh, some states are working on banning mandatory overtime. We know those work. That keeps not only nurses safe, but it keeps patients safe. So, so those are the couple things. And then the final thing at the federal level, we talked about the nursing pipeline for faculty. We don't have enough funding to incentivize expert nurses to either stay at the bedside to teach or to teach in nursing schools. And if we want more nurses, that's where we need to start. And that's a solvable problem. That's a, we have money, right? I hope we have money. Mm-hmm. That's a money problem that we can solve in our nursing schools you know, we can work on our back end to make it work that we can add, you know, bring more of those people in that we're turning away year after year after year. Well, I'm happy that you are a nurse educator and that you're a nurse and that you're a doctor of nursing because with a name like, you know, Dr. Freeze, you easily could have been a villain or some sort of comic book person that wreaked havoc on the city, but instead you wreak love Dr. Christopher Fries, thank you so much for going beyond the scenes with us today. And Madeline, I will see you again on here. I don't know. Fourth, I'll see you at the fifth. next pizza party, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all. Hey, listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or where you get your podcasts we don't care just listen to us even if you get your podcast from a dude named Tony in a back alley we don't care just listen
In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.